Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Good morning. It's good to see you. really is good to see you. I uh, appreciate everybody's prayers. Last week, I, I was out with the flu. I think that during that time, I counted on one hand how many times I've uh, missed a weekend unexpectedly, but it just happened to be one of those weekends that uh, I just couldn't make it. It was one of those tough things. I know some of you have dealt with it, and it's not a, it's not a fun experience. And so I saw some folks last night uh, greeting me, wondering if I was still carrying a bug, and they... they, they uh, they shook my hand from a distance like this. It was really, I said, where's the love? You can hug me. I'm okay. It's over. So uh, everything's uh, fine and dandy. But uh, last weekend, just waking up in the middle of the night, feeling that and realizing that that day, the next day was just full. It was just packed. I had a Bible study, men's Bible study at seven in the morning and a wedding at one and an ushers meeting at five and then three services and and so when I woke up at three in the morning knowing that it was probably going to be impossible for me to do all of that immediately you think what can you do and what can't you do and um, I realized that I, I I could only I could only go to one thing I couldn't miss one particular thing and it was our Saucedo wedding Jackie and Ashley were married and uh, the reason I went is because they really do need someone to sign those documents and so I thought, well, I'll, uh, I'll go to that. The other things I will have to wait on. So I told Annette, wake me up at noon, and, uh, and I'll get dressed, and I'll go do the wedding, and then I'll come home. And sure enough, noon rolled around, and, and I got up. I had a fever. I was, you know how you do, and I just thought, how am I going to do this? And what kicked in was, uh, was that baseball player. I've done, I played sick and hurt before, so I thought, put on your uniform, buck up, go to the game. So I, I was telling myself that, even putting my socks on. I'm going, all right, let's go. And um, I got there, and I, I uh, had a great time, I think. I don't remember most of it. I hope it was good. Uh, if you were there, you can give me feedback. But um, uh, it, was a, it was a great time for the family. Uh, but the Lord, he's so gracious. He really is. He's so gracious to us. You know, last weekend, Pastor James stepped up. He really did deliver the groceries. Man, uh, th- th- that was a, a great message. And, um, and I told him before, when I called him on the phone, I said, uh, buddy, you're going to have to fill in. I said, remember that God will really bless you uh, because you're just stepping in and you're doing something that's just... Uh, uh, a, a blessing for all of us. I said, God will give you a, a double portion. Well, Monday, he and Courtney went to the doctor and they found out they're having twins. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said, see how all that works? You know, just preach on the weekend and guess what happens? So we're happy about that. We're happy about it. I think once he got over his, his uh, he was shell-shocked. Once he got the, over that, he, I think he was doing pretty good. So, and uh, he's not feeling well this morning, so I'm filling in for James, Pastor James, this morning. And I'll bring, I'll bring the message to today. Uh, I think James did an excellent and thorough job covering John 14, verses 1 through 6. So what I want to do today is I, I want you to recognize and pay attention to some things. My message will springboard off his message because I really believe this is ordered by the Lord. 
There are times when you know when you need to say things and timing is everything. And I think this last two weeks is no different. That the timing of what you're hearing out of the gospel of John makes all the difference in the world. Uh, Last weekend you heard verses 1 through 6 taught where there was a great foundation laid. And today what I want to do again is is take that and go just a little further with you. I, I want us to pay attention to just one verse today. Uh, a verse that may be one of the most controversial verses in the Bible today. I want you to do this with me. I want you to open your Bibles with me to John 14, verse 6. Uh, That's the Gospel of John 14, verse 6. And listen to what Jesus said to his troubled disciples. And they really were troubled. They were told early on that Jesus would be going away. He told them that he needed to go. And where he would go, no one could follow. And imagine laying down your livelihood as a disciple, uh, giving up everything you have, following him for three and a half years, thinking that you were going to, in a lot of ways, establish a physical kingdom, and your king says, I need to go, and where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, this provoked a lot of fear. It provoked a lot of anxiety, and you can see that even in their nervous questions, in fact, in these first uh, few verses, in, in the end of John 13 and through to John 14, you see three questions. Philip was nervous. Uh, Thomas was nervous. Peter was nervous. They were, they were fearful that they were going to lose their king. And then Jesus says something that, that really summarizes, in my mind, this scripture summarizes the whole of the Gospel of John. I think Jesus really gets to the bottom line here. And I think he does that because he really knows he doesn't have a lot of time. And so he just looks them in the eyes. And if you can imagine him doing this, just looking these anxious, fearful men in the eyes and saying to them, I am the way. I am the truth. And I'm the life. And no man, no man comes to the Father except by me. Through our study in the Gospel of John, we found that Jesus often surprised people with statements that polarized his audience. And in many ways, in many cases, even his closest friends and followers, and that's because Jesus forced his listeners to choose. He always forced them to make a decision. When Jesus would speak, when he would teach, there was no gray areas. Now, you could choose to believe it or not, but that, again, is a choice you make. And Jesus brings you to a place of decision-making. You either are standing in the light or you're in the darkness. You're in the truth or you're in a lie. You believe or you don't believe. You have courage or you have, you have fear. You're all in or you're all out. That's what Jesus does here. Jesus was constantly cutting across the grain of human nature, always making you think and live in gospel ways. Lose your life to save it. The first will be last. The meek will inherit the earth. Rejoice in persecution. Pray for your enemies. And turn the other cheek. These are revolutionary teachings and really they go against the grain of every basic human instinct. 
Because you and me just left alone to our sin nature, to our basic instincts, we do the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. We self-protect. We guard ourselves. We guard our own interests. That's what our life would always be about. It's about surviving. And then Jesus steps up and he says, I want you to live another way. I want you to live a kingdom way. I want you to live a gospel way. And he presents these, these truths that you have to make a decision about in your own life. I look at this and I recognize that by far John 14, 6 is the most outrageous claim that Jesus ever uttered. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. The statement provokes people like nothing else. It's been called narrow-minded. It's been called bigoted. It's been called snobbish. And I know that some of you are new in the faith and something inside of you may bristle at the idea that Jesus is the only way to God. Because most of us really in our society, in the nation, the country that we live in, we're accustomed to a world where there seems to be endless options in every area of life. I talk to missionaries who come back after 20 years on the mission field and I ask them, what is your greatest challenge? And they answer, and almost every time they answer the same way. They say it's choosing cereal in the grocery store. And what it represents is this. There are so many choices, it just boggles the mind. It overwhelms them. They say where I come from, where I was a missionary, we had one choice in the morning and that was rice. We had one choice in the evening and that was rice. And now we come here and there are rice krispies and rice, oh, all kinds of different things, all kinds of different options. We live in a world like that. I don't know if you realize you've been acclimated to a world like that. Because when you're acclimated to a world like that, John 14, 6 really can bother you. Because of what he's saying. What Jesus is saying, what he's telling us in this passage of Scripture. Maybe even more discouraging to me or the Christian faith for sure are those who would be considered the more mature apologizing for John 14, 6. What's happening today? People are losing their grip on the faith. They're, they're, they're losing their footing because of this one truth, this one principle, and they're beginning even to debate in their own mind, is this really true? Could this really be possible that Jesus is the only way? Folks, the winds are coming if they're not already here. And you have to have a firm grip on this. And today, this is what propels me into this teaching. And if you can hear it more than just a teaching... You hear this from the heart of a pastor, a shepherd, saying to you, stand, and after you've done everything to stand, stand fast. You must hold on to this. There's no compromise when it comes to John 14, 6. I realize that for many people, and it's sad for me to say, this verse has become your stumbling block to faith only in Jesus Christ. How prevalent is this? I have a friend who just got through wrestling with this and was even teaching to his congregation that there are more ways to Jesus, more ways to God than through Jesus Christ. 
if you don't think this is out there, if you don't think this is out there, not only in the fringes of the church community and in the world, these are things that are going on at the very core of who we are, and you need to hear this. Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus was telling the absolute truth when he uttered those words. I believe he said those words not out of the slightest bit of arrogance, not out of a hint of being ego-driven, but out of an enormous compassion for you and for me. So why is this claim so controversial? I mean, why is this pill so hard for people to swallow? I think one of the reasons is that it strikes at the core of three great falsehoods about religion. And these three falsehoods are falsehoods that I, I want to share with you today. And I think that when we go over these, they'll sound familiar. They'll be a familiar ring to them because whether you've debated these in your own head, whether you've heard other Christians talk about this, whether you've even heard people at work speak about these three falsehoods, You've heard it. It, it. It's something I think you're familiar with, but I, I want to unwrap it for just a moment with you. I want to look at these three, and the first falsehood is that Christianity is one philosophy among so many. What this says, that, that even though Christianity might be different, it's just one philosophy among many, and it's only as valid as any other religion on planet Earth. Simply put, even if there are differences between religions, they all are on equal footing when it comes to the truth. Now this is the thought, that you have your truth, and I have my truth. They have their truth, and we have our truth, and all of us are happy, and we sit around, and we sing Kumbaya together. This falsehood is attractive, at least at first glance, because it's inclusive, it's tolerant, and really, doesn't the Bible tell us that followers of Jesus need to be loving and respectful toward people of all faiths? That last part, I really believe. And that's the problem. You're going to have some truths mixed in with the falsehood, but a, a, a little leaven spoils the whole bunch. The idea behind the religion and the religious laws of our land is that truth and falsehood would grapple unhindered so that in the end, truth would prevail. In our country, anyone can believe whatever they want to believe, and the law protects them. And let me stop and say this. I'm thankful for that. I'm deeply thankful that we live in a country, we live in a nation, that if you don't believe the same as the government believes, they're not going to chop off your hands, or they're not going to persecute you, or they're not going to beat you down, because believe me, in most of the world, this is exactly what happens. But here's the problem in the country we live in, is the same, or the the conclusions that people will jump to. The wrong conclusion is that because different philosophies are equally protected, they must be equally valid, and that's simply not true. Here's the bottom line. 
Even though all religions are equally protected, this has nothing to do with whether they are based on truth. You know that anyone can start a church today. You're aware of that because you're protected under the First Amendment. And the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So you have a lot of churches out there, and I I thought I'd just give you a, a, a few of those so that you can get an idea of what's going on if you don't already know. There's the Church of the Aliens. That, that they believe that someday aliens are going to come back. They're going to open their spaceship. And everyone who believed that are going to go off somewhere with the aliens. I don't know where, but somewhere. There's the church of euthanasia. Which believes that all of us should really end our lives at the appropriate time. And let the animals have the planet back. And then there's the church of the KKK who believe the only people who can really get anything done are people who have white skin. It's a church. It's protected. And this gives anybody freedom to make the claim as Jesus made the claim. The question is, how do we know that Jesus was telling the truth? Well, let me say this. Jesus backs up his claim with a unique credential. Jesus lives a perfect life. He fulfills dozens of prophecies written hundreds of years before. And do you know the mathematical odds of that ever happening? Do you realize that for only two or three prophecies to be fulfilled about one person who was going to come a thousand years later is like a million to one, much less 200 prophetic utterances about a Messiah, and it would end up at the same time, the same way, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, rose again, and gives everlasting life. The mathematical odds are enormous. You can't even put them on a calculator. Unlike other religions and other religious leaders, Jesus performs great miracles. And let me tell you how he does it. Most of the other religious leaders, when I read their biographies, they state to us that they saw a vision or there was a miracle performed when no one else was there. It happened in the middle of the night and they took a ride somewhere and they came back and they tell you about it and they have millions of followers. That is not the way Jesus operated. Jesus performed miracles in broad daylight, not only in front of his friends, but in front of his skeptics and his enemies. Demonstrates power over nature, power over sickness, power over death. And then he has the audacity to predict not only his death, because people can have some control over that, but he predicts a resurrection. And it's amazing. It's it's his own prediction. It's his own prophecy of his resurrection that gets the the Roman principalities all excited and and, and bent over and all turned in a ball that they go and they put guards by his tomb when he's buried and they still couldn't stop it from happening. It's amazing. He did all of this after he rose from the grave At least 500 people see him and talk with him for 40 days. Listen, let me say this. 
you're going to write anything down, you can write this down. Christianity is not just a philosophy. Christianity is a reality. And that really leads us to this second falsehood about religion. And that's this, that all religions are fundamentally the same. You may have heard that somewhere along the line. You know, we've heard people say when you strip all religions down, they're pretty much the same. In other words, all spiritual paths lead up to the same mountain. And when you get to the top, you meet the universal fatherhood of God. I think there are some basic values and beliefs that are, that are common with most world religions, mainly when it comes to moral issues. Be kind. Have virtue in your life. I think most world religions propagate those thoughts. But at the same time, we see some pretty significant differences between world religions that we really cannot ignore. And John 14, 6 is the primary lightning rod because Jesus boldly puts the Christian faith in a category by itself. Because if the path to God is through Jesus Christ, then Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion in the world. Any other. It stands alone. So what sets Christianity apart from all other religions in the world? Can I tell you what it is? It's Jesus himself. Jesus makes all the difference. The main thing is the main thing, and we'll always keep the main thing the main thing. It's Jesus Christ that sets us apart. It's Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in the world. Here's what I mean. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me, and I will show you the way to salvation. But Jesus says, I am the salvation that you need. Other religious leaders say, follow me to the light. But Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Other religious leaders say, follow me to the gateway, to the doorway of wisdom. And Jesus says, I am the door. Do you see the difference? See, I want you to really get a hold of this. And and maybe I am preaching to the choir, but I need to say this because we are losing ground today. Churches all around the world, except for a few places, are in decline. And I think one of the primary reasons is the lack of faith in the words of Jesus in John 14, 6. Here's something for you to think about. Every other religion in the world is based on people doing things. You notice that? All the other religions of the world is based on your struggle, uh, your sacrifice, your striving to earn favor with God. A Tibetan prayer wheel, pilgrimages, what you eat, what you don't eat, your good deeds, your good deeds and who you who you perform these good deeds in front of them, where and why, all of it has to do with good works. And then there's one I don't understand, and that's reincarnation. I don't know much about that, so maybe you'll have to talk to Al. (laughs) You see, these are all attempts to reach out to God. But Jesus Christ 
is God reaching out to you? Listen, I want to say to those that maybe have, you've been in church for a long, long time and And you're still trying to find favor with God. You're still trying to work your way to heaven. Because this doesn't just apply to other world religions. This applies to us. Do you understand? This applies to all of us. This This is something that we have to look at in our own life. And that if you're working to try to find favor with God, would you do something Would you stop the clock on that? Even three minutes. You can check your watch. Just take three minutes and let the grace of Jesus Christ just overwhelm your life. Let him pour out in you blessing that he's ever poured out in you before, but experience experience the presence of Jesus. You see, Jesus teaches us the exact opposite of what other faiths teach us. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul says this, not by works, least any man should boast. I get what he's saying there. You know why I get, I think I get what he's saying there. He's saying there, even if you could work to get favor and find favor with God, you would mess it up. Because somehow you would get there and you would find favor with God and you'd get all big-headed and you would have this enormous ego. Listen, most of us can't even be in the, in the presence of celebrities or much less have friendship with celebrities and not feel like we're better than everyone else. Imagine what you would do if you were in the presence of God and you worked yourself there. You would be a mess and God knows it. And he says, that's not the way this is going to work because you would mess that up. So what does he say? He says it's by grace. Other religions are spelled D-O because they teach that people must do a bunch of religious rituals so somehow they work their way to God. But Christianity is not spelled D-O, it's spelled D-O-N-E. Because Jesus Christ did what needed to be done on the cross We just need to receive it. Can I show you a distinction and maybe illustrate for you just a moment what I'm talking about? This distinction is really starkly demonstrated by comparing a parable that was taught by Jesus with a similar story that is found in a Buddhist prayer book. And the story initially sounds very familiar to you, for most of you. It's a story about a son who thinks he can do better out from under the roof of his father. And so what he does is he asks for his inheritance and he gets his inheritance and he goes about his way and he finds himself in trouble. He blows his inheritance, he finds he's a wreck and he recognizes that he needs to go back to his father and be under the roof of covering and protection and blessing. And so he gets up and he heads home. And here's where the stories start to part. In one story, the father sees him from a long way away. And he says, there's my son. He recognizes him even in his filth, even in his squalor. And he says, I need to go see him. I'm not even going to wait for him to get here. I'm going to go run and meet him. And he runs and he meets him and he falls on his son. And he says, son, I, I love you. And he looks back and he says, get it ready. We're going to have a party. My son has returned. The one that was lost is now found. 
and let's rejoice. In the other prayer book, it says that the son returned home. And the father looked at him with eyes of great disapproval. And he grabbed him by the ear. And he drug him in the house. And he says, because you have squandered all of those riches, then you are going to be my servant for the rest of your life. Do you get it, buddy? And that's where the story ends. So let me ask you a question. Which father do you want to have? Let me give you a third falsehood about religion and that Christians are narrow-minded to think there is only one way to God. Have you heard that before? (laughs) Maybe at work, through a relative, someone around you, you've heard it said that we're narrow-minded. Now here's what that I would say. I would say uh, this about that statement. I would say that Christians would be incredibly narrow-minded, not only narrow-minded, but elitist, if in fact there were many ways to God and they claim that their way is the best way, that's an elitist way of thinking. But that's not being said. You see, what's being said is someone must pay the penalty for the wrongdoings that keep us from God. Someone must come along and live a perfect life and die a sacrificial perfect death and conquer death so that we could have life. Somebody needs to come and pay for the wrongdoings of our sin. And that somebody is Jesus Christ. It's not narrow-minded to respond to the clear evidence and from there pursue the truth. That is called wise-minded. I know people that have come into this church setting. They've come with a relative. They've come with a friend. Some have sat for months. Some have sat for years. They're professed atheists. They say they don't believe in God, but they're coming because they want to come with a family member. And over time, they're thoughtful about what's going on, and they weigh their atheism against the Christianity or the Christian faith. And ultimately, what they end up doing is saying, man, this makes a whole lot more sense to me. I process the information. The evidence is here. This is truth, and I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. A few years ago, my son, my grandson, Jack, was born with low blood sugar. We're so thankful that the doctors picked that up because low blood sugar left untreated can cause seizures and it can even bring brain injury. The cure is relatively simple. They take this little IV and they stick it in his arm and they give him a little formula that's beefed up with more sugar. And that's how they deal with it today and it's... It's just a simple way of doing it. Ronnie and Sarah, the parents, could have listened. They could have listened to this from the doctor, and they could have said to the doctor, you know, that sounds too easy. How about instead we try to get some gummy bears down his throat, and and maybe that'll be good enough, and I'm sure that we could get his blood sugar back up. The doctor would have looked at them and he would have said, no, look, you don't understand. There's only one way to cure your son. 
They could have replied, well, how about if we just sort of ignore all of this and pretend that, that everything's okay? You, you, you know, blood sugar is your truth, doctor. It's not our truth. If we sincerely believe that things are going to really turn out the best in the long haul, then let's just let this thing ride. The doctor would have said, look, you're going to jeopardize the life of your child if you don't do this. There's only one way to cure this child right now, and it's the way that I've described to you. And now you're hesitant to pursue it because it sounds too easy. But look at my credentials. I've done this. I've studied at medical school. I've used what I've learned to treat and to cure countless babies. Please trust me with this. Would anybody accuse those parents of being narrow-minded if they trusted the doctor and the doctor with credentials and they pursued the only course of treatment that was going to cure their little child? Of course not. That's not being narrow-minded. That is acting rationally in accordance with the evidence. Let me say this. Everyone in this room has been born with a terminal illness. Your illness and my illness is spelled S-I-N. We've all been born with sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is the absolute cure. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He's the only life. He's the only way to the Father. You know, I think there are many ways to Jesus Christ, but I think there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. The many ways here in this room that are celebrated on how you came to Jesus Christ, how you came to faith in Christ, how I came to faith in Christ. And every one of the stories that I hear you tell, every one of those testimonies that ring in my ear, I never, ever have been bored with how you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. I get excited, I celebrate, and sometimes you've looked at me and wondered why I'm more excited than you. And the reason is, is because I know you've found the cure. I know that we all come from different backgrounds. But I know this, that Jesus is so faithful to show up in your life in so many ways. Some of you don't even remember the day you accepted Christ because you grew up in a home that believed and, and you just remember maybe you were four or five and you heard the news and you said in your heart, your mind, nah, that's the right way. That's the cure for my problem. Some of you went a long time. Some of you didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ until you were in your 60s or 70s. But I'm going to tell you this, you found the cure to your sin. It's found in Jesus Christ. This is what I think. I don't think that Christians are any better than anyone else. I think you've picked that up. Christians are just like beggars trying to tell other beggars where they can find food. I'm a sinner saved by grace that found the food that has given me spiritual nourishment in life. And I want to live telling other beggars where to find that food. I want to say, here it is. It's right here. Taste and see. It's good. It's wonderful. It's Jesus Christ. Friends, we need to hold on to some basic truths that God has taught us through his word. And I can't think of one that goes deeper 
in the heart of truth and to the heart of the Spirit of God than John 14, 6. Would you remember that? Would you hold on to that? And would you bow your head just for a moment? I'm going to invite our worship team forward and I'm going to also invite our prayer teams if they would make themselves available around our, our sanctuary. We've been doing something for the last few weeks. We're receiving communion six weeks in a row and just a moment I want to tell you again, remind you again the reasons why we're doing this. But before I do that, let me just do this. If you're here today and you're wondering about your own salvation, your own eternal life, you don't have to wonder anymore. There's a cure. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no way to get to the Father except by him. Absolutely no way. Today, maybe you have spiritually weighed that evidence and you've recognized it's true. It is true. The next step is to receive that truth in Jesus. The Bible says that all who believe in me will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. And then take the steps that you need to take. In just a moment, we're going to share the Lord's table together and we're also going to invite you to prayer. And if you're here today and you're one that knows that you need the salvation of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to ask that you go to one of these prayer teams and tell them that. Just confess that. Just say, I need Christ in my life. They will be glad to pray with you and lead you in a prayer and the way of salvation. Do that today. And then come to the Lord's table and share the Lord's table with newness. Newness of life. The old is gone. The new has come. Share the Lord's table with great significance because now you understand what it really means because what it really means and who this is all about is now the Lord of your life. Do that today. But let me ask another group of people something. Are you a person that, whether you've known the Lord for a short period of time or maybe years, you have in recent months, recent days, been slipping, you're losing your, your grip on this fundamental truth in John 14, 6. That you may not be saying it, but inside you're apologizing. Inside you're thinking, well, maybe there is another way. And that you're losing your footing, you're losing a grip on the truth, the reality of Jesus Christ. Today he's asking you to shore that up. To recommit to that faith in him and him only as the way to the Father in heaven. And if you're someone that's dealing with that today, just by the confession of raising your own hand is the step that you take, the first of shoring this up. And if that's true about you, would you lift your hand so that I can pray for you? Good. 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 Thank you for being truthful. Thank you for being honest and courageous. 
You can put your hands down now. Let me pray for you. Father, for those that have lifted their hands today and have boldly admitted, courageously, honestly admitted that in their heart they're, they're slipping. They're losing a grip on this fundamental truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except by him. Father, I know that what happens there is there's lies that are in the world today. We confront the enemy of darkness and we know something. We know that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. And you say it, thus saith the Lord. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would shore up the hearts and the spirits and the minds of those who have lifted their hands here today. That you would come and do this full of grace, full of mercy, full of truth. And that there would be a confidence unlike any other confidence that they've had in their life that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Father, help us today. The one you love is sick. We confess that and we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of us say this together. We say, Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.